0: To the next season of people's jam and I'm really sorry that I haven't been recording a lot yeah I think the past year has been really hard and crazy for all of us and um, it's not an exaggeration and we did it everything is going well uh, hopefully And um, I hope you are well my listener too. and I want to say thank you for staying and listening to my podcast, signing up, maybe suggesting to your friends. I'm eternally grateful for my heart. Welcome to my first episode. In this episode, I was fortunate enough to have an interview with Harvey, who is a professional counselor in the US. In summary, we talked about anxiety and depression and their biological effect on us. I definitely took something for myself I hope you would too. Welcome to our conversation. So hello, Harvey. Uh, Welcome to my podcast and thank you for being the guest. Could you please introduce yourself?
1: Yes, uh, my name is Harvey Norris. I uh, live in the United States. I am a licensed clinical social worker, uh, which basically means that I am an independently licensed mental health professional and I can pretty much work anywhere in the world.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So the first question I want to ask you, what made you to go into the field of psychology and the mental health issues?
1: Oh, that's a complicated question. Uh, I think on the, on the simple side of it, I didn't feel good about myself and I wanted to learn how to feel better. Um, but I was uh, too immature to realize that maybe therapy would help. So I became a therapist. Um, on the other side of it, I grew up in a family that uh, really needed a lot of help themselves. And I think I played the role of therapist from a very young age. So by the time I got to college, it was not that big a step to step into the role of therapist.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, how is obtaining a degree in counseling differs in the US, let's say, from the UK? So maybe could you just go through that?
1: Well, I can tell you how it does in the US. I'm not yeah. sure how it does in the UK. <clears throat> um, there are four different fields in the US. Uh, basically, there's uh, psychology, social work, uh, counseling, and marriage and family therapy. And um, all of them require you to get a four year, 120 semester hour degree as a basis for them. And then uh All of them require you to go back for a graduate degree that takes 60 semester hours. And at that point in time, a lot of changes happen. Like in psychology, um, they would then do a a research dissertation, which takes about three years. We do three years of on-the-site counseling underneath the supervision of a licensed counselor. the, LP, the the counselors do the same thing that we do. And marriage and family therapy, uh, they either uh, go for a doctorate and do a dissertation or they do what we do. It's, it's a little complicated, but all of us have um, about six years, four years undergraduate, two years postgraduate uh, training before we're allowed to actually see people and uh and then the first three years out for most of us we are working directly under someone who's been licensed and experienced and they get to look at all of our work and they get to give us feedback and, and be mean to us and and all sorts of fun stuff
0: oh my god so basically yeah you, it's like being like a doctor let's say having i think
1: mds have uh When I think doctor, I think physician, medical doctor.
0: Yeah, yeah, this is what I'm talking about.
1: And uh, and generally the MD does the four years and then they do two years of med school and their last two years of med school are really hands-on work in a hospital. And once they get done with that, then they actually do a three-year training because I have a friend of mine who's a psychiatrist, a mental health medical doctor. They do three years of training in their in their specialty so she had to do two years in a hospital as a general md and then three years after that in a psychiatric hospital wow That's
0: yeah
1: crazy. you have you have to want to do this <laughs> you can't just
0: <laughs> definitely want to do this so i just wanted to ask you says so you know like a lot of people are experiencing anxiety and depression, and it's actually the most common mental health issue, correct me if I'm wrong. So uh, in the UK, it's one in six people. So maybe could you explain what the anxiety is and what is the, exp- the depression is?
1: Well, it, it, that's, that's easy and hard at the same time, like most questions in life. Anxiety is when you feel like you have too much energy, too much going on, and your body operates at a higher, um, a higher level of activity than is normal, and people with anxiety tend to either focus on what they did wrong in the past and feel bad about it, or they focus on what's coming at them in the future, and it scares them. And then they feel bad and, and fearful about what's coming at them in the future. Depression is very similar to anxiety. In fact, the, the, the behaviors we use to diagnose these overlap about 50%. And uh, depression is a lower level of energy where you don't have enough energy. And in depressed people, they tend to focus on the past and think about all the things they didn't do. Or they focus on the future and think about all the things they're not going to be able to accomplish. Um, In some ways, both of these disorders force people to focus either in the past or in the future, but not right now, not here. And the problem with anxiety, and I think anxiety leads to depression. I think they're both kind of very similar. The problem with anxiety is it's controlled in a part of our brain that is so old that we don't even recognize it's working in the background. And it works about nine times faster than we think, whatever you consider thinking. Um, and it can set off anxiety well before the thinking part of you, even those is there. It just overwhelms you, and there are techniques for training people to relax, to calm down, to slow down, um, and to begin to control the anxiety part of their brain um, in order in order to be safer and uh, and more comfortable. Okay.
0: Thank you so much. And what is in your opinion are the triggers for anxiety or depression? Like maybe generalised, so, for example, stress or something else.
1: Usually, the triggers are either events or fear or worry of events. Um, so if you're going through your day, and you all of a sudden have a uh, someone comes up to you and mentions something you haven't done or something you've done in the past. That's a triggering event, and then, then they become anxious. Um, depression is pretty much the same way. The other way is that you have a thought or an idea or are or, or reminded of something that you haven't done or need to do. Um, and for the brain, it really does take events and thoughts of events And treat them the same way there's no difference in them
0: and maybe Um, talk about a bit more about the brain what kind of parts of the brain are activated during anxiety or depression
1: sure i'm i'm more familiar with activation and anxiety but let's talk about the whole thing Mm -hmm. um the brain is actually multiple layers of of uh of activity the oldest layer being um these uh the pons and the medulla and they deal with uh old old stuff they deal with heart rate blood pressure uh breathing automatic breathing automatic everything uh they deal with capillary dilation it's a very old part of the brain you never know it works in fact if you became aware of it it's probably because you're dying because if, you, if it turns off you turn off um and then as we evolved, we added on another chunk of the brain that deals with anxiety. And this is called the, uh, the, the technical name for It's the mesocephalon. But I like to call it the mammal brain. And uh, because every mammal on the planet has these structures, and they include structures like the hippocampus, the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the uh, cingulate gyrus, and most especially a little organ called the amygdala and it sits in the back of your brain in the middle of your brain and it never sleeps and it's constantly on the lookout and it's based on fear and anticipation and the moment it sees anything that makes it feel concerned for your safety it activates and when it activates it floods your body with adrenaline and all of a sudden your body is now hyped up and your body gets hyped up and flooded with adrenaline and, and running at super speed for itself not normal, that, than it does normally. And all this happens before the final part of your brain where you live in the frontal lobes ever knows what's happening. So oftentimes people with anxiety feel like something jumped out of the closet and kind of attacked them you know it's like it's overwhelming instantly and it oh, it's so overwhelming they don't know how to respond so they just go with the anxiety now depression also operates in this area of the brain but it doesn't operate so much on anxiety on the anxiety basis as it operates on almost a reverse of the anxiety basis, where it, um, instead of uh, activating you, it slows you down. And um, the net result is that instead of having too much energy, you really have less energy. And and they both, by the way, work on different neurochemicals in the brain. Um, I hate to say this, but you know, we think we know so much about the brain, but 100 years from now, the people who are studying the brain will look back at us and think we were like witch doctors and uh, and uh, and hacks <clears throat> because we don't understand the, the major aspects of the brain. We can play with some big chemicals, but why do they work differently in some people than others? We don't have the slightest idea.
0: Yeah. I mean there's a whole system going on in there now ahead.
1: Fantastically complicated. Imagine 10 billion different cells or more and each cell is connected to another cell anywhere from 3 to 5 to 10 times. And some of them make specific pathways and some don't and they're all communicating using um chemicals that allow electricity to jump between them and so you have to have the chemical dumped in between the nerves, the cells and then the little spark jumps and then another chemical cleans it up and then another chemical puts it in there and clean it up puts it in and you've got and every one of these you know 10 billion times 10 or 10 billion to the 10th power oh god and you're thinking about all that chemical moving and it moves all the time and it moves at rates that we can't even conceive of. And uh, it, it's just amazing that we can, we can actually move, to be honest with you. I, I find the brain to be one of the most fascinating things in the human body. Uh, um, it, it's too complicated, I think. I don't really believe we will ever understand it totally. But darn it, I hope to live long enough to understand it better than I do now.
0: Oh, amazing words. So cheers for that. Um, I just want to follow up about the anxiety and depression. So nowadays, you know, the so social media is out there and there were numerous studies that social media affected uh, people's anxiety. Do you agree with that? And maybe you have any tips how to reduce the effect of
1: social media? I absolutely agree with it. Um, I take a, a dim view of social media because the social media encourages people to communicate but it doesn't give them the responsibility to um, to deal with the other people they're communicating with their their feelings so it's like you can say anything you want without responsibility for the after effects Mm -hmm. and because you're kind of operating in a bubble you're operating in You're sitting in front of a computer, and you say this to someone, and they say something nasty back to you, and you block them, and then you say this nasty to someone else, you're never really getting the feedback. And um, I think that social media promotes anxiety, it promotes depression, it promotes frustration. Uh, People tend to think that they tend to self-segregate into their own little thinking communities. And so that if if you've got 1,000 people who all talk to each other and all believe exactly the same thing, then what do you have in the way of growth opportunities? Um, I believe people should limit their social media. Um, And and I'm not against any particular platform. Um, I myself found that when I spent an hour a day on Twitter, I was far more anxious than I was when I took it off my phone. Um, truth in advertising, I do not use Facebook at all. Mm-hmm. I found uh, Facebook to be so disruptive to just enjoying my life. Um, the only social media I use uh, is uh, is LinkedIn. Okay. And and Can I use that uh-huh.
0: as a social media. I mean,.
1: What like now? I'm sorry.
0: More like a tool to find, I think jobs, connections.
1: And what I'm doing on social what I'm doing on LinkedIn is is I currently have about sixty two hundred connections, and I connect specifically with social workers and clinicians from all over the world. And we try to share tidbits and information that are uplifting um that uh celebrate the beauty of people celebrate how uh how wonderful people are um and 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 reward people for doing the right thing um and as and we don't we I think we're all very protective of people against people who try to use linkedin as a dating site it's not a dating site you know, if, if, if you connect with me, it's not because I'm interested in dating you. It's because you're a professional and I want to know your opinion on something. Um, and we also, I think, very jealously guarded against politics because I don't know about politics in England these days. But it seems to me that politics in general has become two sets of people screaming at each other. There's no one's talking, they're yelling, and no one is interested in what the other person is saying. They just want to over talk them. And I think that causes tremendous anxiety and depression. So my recommendation is limit your social media. Um, Now, I happen to also sometimes like to go onto Pinterest and look up pictures of flowers and mountains and dancers and that kind of stuff. But that's about it.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think Pinterest is kind of different to many other platforms out there because people go for inspiration as far as I know.
1: That's so, how I use it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And um, so with everything, everyone is individual. However, I think the key issue is our emotions. And I think I, oh, a week ago, I had a conversation with my friend whether we actually can control our emotion Emotions. And we are in control. And she said, we're not. So what do you think?
1: I don't think we can control our emotions at all. I think that emotions basically are biochemically driven. Um, every there's, And there's a question about how many emotions there are. There's a wonderful uh, psychologist named Plutchik, P-L-U-T-C-H-I-K. And he wrote a book on emotions, Probably one of the best works ever done on emotions. And he has, he calls it the emotional flower. And there's basically, I think, eight basic emotions. And then uh, around them, eight more secondary emotions. And then eight, they call tertiary emotions. And then there's in between all of them are other emotions. And very complicated, but very beautiful, picture it can be found on the internet if you look up uh Pluchik's flower.
0: Would flower definitely
1: <clears throat> um but i think emotions are chemically driven i think we need to not try to solve or, or or control our emotions because we can't do it before they actually operate what we have to do is we have to control the behavior that comes from the emotions let's take anger for instance the anger response is an adrenaline response. The adrenaline response happens nine times faster than the brain can think. <clears throat> so you're going to get angry. The question is, once you get angry, once you feel, and the anger will, you'll feel the anger in your body, just like you'll feel the happiness in your body or the, or the arousal in your body. Once you feel that, the question is, do you take a breath And not act, or do you punch someone, or do you strike someone, or do you run? That's where you have control. When you recognize how that emotional change affects the physical body, at that point in time, you have the ability to determine what is my next behavior. And it takes some work, but everyone can do it. It's called self control. Yeah. You know, all of us have run into someone who amazes us and we might want to go up and and shake their hand or give them a hug or say wow you're just amazing but just because we have that flood of emotion doesn't mean we have to follow through with that action we choose um so i don't think you can control your emotions i don't think there's any spock-like person out there from star trek you know i don't think that we can be logical um
0: so it's about improving your self-control when it comes to emotions
1: absolutely and the way i believe you improve your self-control is you take time to look at how your body is affected by emotion um i um i was dealing with a client last week and uh she was wearing a uh she was wearing a blouse that allowed me to see her shoulders And as she talked about something that really upset her, you could see her shoulders get almost beet red. And she reached up and started rubbing her shoulder. And when she got done, I said, do you realize that you were just rubbing your shoulder? And she says, no, I wasn't, was I? And I said, do you realize how red your shoulders got? She says, no, they felt weird and hot, which Basically, they got red because she was upset and adrenaline surged. And one of the things that adrenaline surges is when the body's going to perk up, it needs to reduce heat. Mm -hmm. So the little capillaries near the skin expand and blood flows to the skin and lets heat out, which is why she turned red. Yeah. Um, But she turned red and, and was trying to soothe her tension in her shoulders And not even aware it was happening. And that's the problem with emotions. If you're not aware of where they affect you in your body. Then you don't know what's happening. You just kind of ignore them. And then go with the emotion. So it's a process. And and generally I teach a breathing technique. um, To almost everybody I can get to do it. To help them calm down and relax. And see their body working. And over time. You can get to the point where you can feel, and it doesn't take a lot of time. You can feel the emotions in the body.
0: Okay. So let's summarize up. For your tips for improving your self-control is breathing, right? Breathing. Mm-hmm. Being aware of your emotions. Yeah. Other tips you
1: can give. Being aware of your body, uh, for instance. Um, if you're the kind of person that always has a tight neck and, and always has to kind of pop your neck and your shoulders are always kind of sore. When you get tense and upset, you, your body is showing it in that area. So you know that. So when you, when you have to crack your neck during the day, for whatever reason, or kind of do that thing where you do that. You should stop and go, I just cracked my neck, so obviously I'm feeling tense. Why am I feeling tense? What happened in the last five minutes, hour, two hours that has made me feel this way? And if you follow that line of thinking every time you crack your neck, then what eventually happens is before you get to the point where it's so tense you have to crack your neck, you're going to say, wow. My shoulders hurt. My neck hurts. Why? And then you follow the same line down. So it's not physiological. So it's mental. You're like shoulders, your neck. We tend to store a lot of our emotion in our physiology, in our body. Um, you know, when you get scared, fearful, angry, one of the, there's only four ways to go. There's, there's fight, flight posture and submit. And the most common things are fight or flight. Uh, But posturing is when you stand there and you say, I'm not going to back down. And submit is when you back down. But think about this. Whenever a fear comes up, if you're going to do any one of those, if you're getting ready to fight, what happens? The body gets tense. Mm -hmm. okay and most people when they fight their body gets tense in their shoulders and their their neck and because you're getting you know ready for something and what happens is that 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 occurs so fast that after a while you're just running around with tense shoulders and and a tight neck and migraines and headaches and and uh you're like wow my life sucks and then i'm depressed and then i'm anxious and it's like okay so if we figured out, if you if you can go back a little bit at a time, eventually you get to the point where you're like, well, that person said this. And now I feel this. And now my neck's getting tense. Well, I don't have to go through all this. I can just accept the fact that this person said it and they're wrong. And then I get to go about my day. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a type of freedom.
0: Okay. So Again, let's summarize. First, uh, being aware of your emotions. Second, breathing, and then being aware of your body.
1: Absolutely. If you can do, if you can work on those every day, two to three minutes a day, you will be amazed at how much your life will change in six months.
0: Oh my god! Amazing. Thank you so much, Harvey, for coming and explaining everything. And- I
1: really appreciate the invitation. It was great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And and please send me a link because I want to.